Today, I'm going to tell you, Whitley, and our followers, the story of Hans Schmidt, the only Catholic priest ever to be executed. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. Let's set the scene for our little Hansy Hans. So he was Build born it. in... <laughs> he was born in 1881 in now I want to tell everybody that I literally do not speak German so uh if you do I'm so sorry um but he was born in 1881 in Aschaffenburg a town in the kingdom of Bavaria which was inside imperial Germany he had a protestant father and a catholic mother um, so very rich in just uh, religion all around. Unfortunately, though, during his childhood, his father was very abusive and he regularly received beatings while also witnessing many beatings that his mother took at the hands of his father, already not starting off well for him. And I'm sure like I couldn't find it in the notes I was um, when I made my notes, but I would assume now, granted, like we all know what like assuming means, like I'm making ass out of you and me, but I would assume like he probably his father like convinced himself that he was beating his family for like God or Jesus or something. That would just be my guess um, based on like how religious the, his father seemed to be. Now, granted, I'm not saying everybody that's religious is also going to like beat someone. I'm just um, saying in this case. That's what I heard. <laughs> Please don't sue me or come fight me. I don't, I don't have, I don't have the mental capacity for it. So during his early years, while he was getting beaten, it just goes downhill really quick, actually. So he seemed to combine his deep religious beliefs with some bisexual urges that he did seem to act on during childhood. It also was reported that he had a fascination with drinking blood. And dismembering animals, um, while he would also, like, be known to carry around the body parts with him. So, you had me a bisexual, and I was like, this is my kind of story. And, and then, then you said, you. he drank blood. <laughs> and I said, mm, maybe not. Yep. <laughs> I lost you real quick, and I figured I would. Yep. Um, he also, this was, like... Now, listen, we all have our things, and I feel like if I didn't tell you everything before this, you could probably chuck, chalk up this next thing to being like, oh, he's just interested. Like, he's science-y. Like, but when you add it in together that he also frequented the slaughterhouse because he was fascinated to watch the goings-on. Like, okay, the killing? Yes. Uh, like, sir. What, 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 what are you doing? Okay. What are you doing? Like, where are your parents? He said, it's for science. He most definitely did not. Let me tell you, because even though many people in his life doubted his moral and mental fitness, like many people doubted this. Okay. His moral and mental fitness to serve in the Catholic church. He then claimed that he had been ordained by Bishop 
Kirstein of Mance on December 23rd, 1904. Like he just claimed this. It's like when you go online and get your certificate that you're ordained, like the 1904 version. (laughs) Yeah, except like you still have to like do something special to where like even the state views it. Like these people, like they're like, we're not sure what you're doing. So he claimed that the bishop ordained him alone. And I did some extra research. So like my mom's side of the family is very Catholic. And this sounded weird to me. So I had to confirm what I already like assumed. But usually this takes up to five years to complete, like being ordained, uh, because you have a lot of studying and praying that needs to be completed. So I'm not sure, like, obviously it was like the late 1800s going into 1900s. So I don't know if there's just like a lot of like records missing or he just is a liar. Like, I'm not quite sure. So I don't want to come right out and say he's a liar, but like going through this story, I kind of feel like he's just a liar. I also on his hobbies as a child of, you know, drinking blood and killing things. It it would not be that far off to think he might lie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, it's not very far reaching to think that. And I also confirmed with my Nina (laughs) because, (laughs) because why wouldn't you confirm with your Nina? But, um, typically, or like when someone's ordained, it's not just like the bishop and the priest. I do want to clarify to everyone, like the bishop is the only person that can ordain a priest. So like that part of the story checks out. Um, but I find it very hard to believe that his mom was such a devoted Catholic that she wouldn't have gone to his ordaining. So that's what sounds fishy to me. He also claimed that St. Elizabeth came to him the night before when he was praying at his bedside and ordained him herself. He basically said, she came to me while I was praying and said, I ordain you to the priesthood. And he was ordained. So that'll happen in 1904. So let's scurry on to 1905. So 1905, he is doing his seminary studies. He is also, um, you know, between like 1905 and 1909, he's just like, you know, going from parish to parish and doing all of those things that like a typical ordained priest would do. In 1905, he was arrested by the police and charged with forging diplomas for failing students. I could not find like what he was getting out of it. So I don't know if it was like for the rush of just like committing a crime or if maybe he really did think he was helping the students or if they were like paying him. I'm not sure. But the public- just for the criminal activity. It's seeming like he might be a serial killer. That's where my mind is at currently. Obviously you'll get there. Seems the type. Yeah, he has, uh, he just is doing the most when he should be doing the least. Unfortunately, even though the public prosecutor was able to send him to prison, his father hired a lawyer and had the charges dropped for reasons of mental defect. 
I kind of feel like his father only helped him to like make sure he didn't sully their name. Uh, because I don't know like why you would beat your kid while they're a child and then help them when they're going to prison. It doesn't make sense to me. Moving past that, because, you know, we don't go to prison now. He also would molest altar boys while he was doing his parish assignments, but while also having affairs with multiple women and was also seen with many prostitutes. So like he wants to say that the bishop in, you know, um, St. Elizabeth came down to ordain him, but like you're not following the code of conduct for a priest. Just so everybody's clear and on the same page, like you are not supposed to be having like sexual relations as a priest, like making it kosher. We understand the rules. <laughs> so he just already doesn't care. And also like we shouldn't molest boys or anybody at all, no matter what you're doing. Um, so many of his parishioners and even other priests would complain to the Bishop and Monsignor about his sermons. Apparently he was just like, again, doing the most, um, kind of saying things like out of context, um, trying to make it, it kind of reminded me when I was reading it in the notes, like a, um, like a super church now, like a mega church. Like that's kind of like the vibe I got with what the notes were saying. So um, I think he was just trying to like create his own type of church under the guise of being a Catholic priest. Um, so in 1909, he emigrated to the United States because because he had done so terrible that no other parish in his area would take him. They were just all like, we don't want you, please leave. So he literally just like not only left his area, but left the whole country and came to the U.S. So his first assignment was St. John's Roman Catholic Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Due to a rift with a senior pastor, Schmidt was then transferred, once again, transferred uh, to St. Boniface's Church in New York City. So while he was here, he met a woman named Anna, who was the housekeeper of the rectory, um, and she met him in 1912. So between his emigration in 1909 and when he met Anna at the church in NYC in 1912, he, like, that was his second church already. So that's really not that many years. And then he would claim that when he was looking at her, the voice of God was like, you need to love her, like love Anna right now. And she was like, no, no, I just met you and you're kind of weird. Like, please leave me alone. I just want to clean this rectory and like live my life. But then they started a sexual relationship in secret because duh, he's a priest and they can't just be flaunting it for everybody. So beginning in December of 1912, he was also having a secret homosexual relationship with a dentist named Ernest. And together, he and Ernest ran a counterfeiting ring. There's just a lot of <laughs> deviance going on. There's just a lot of, like, again, doing the most when you should be doing the least. He also would make a comment, like, later on saying that he enjoyed having sex more with Ernest than Anna. I just want us to like set the scene for that, like make note of that comment before we go on. Schmidt was then transferred to St. Joseph's Church in Harlem. 
Some would rumor that it was because they found out at his church in New York City about the relationship between him and Anna, Um, but no one can confirm that. So that's just like a rumor. But he and Anna did seem to continue their affair after he transferred. And I did later find out that she also wiggled her way into a transfer there as well. Later, it was discovered that the two were married in a secret ceremony that he performed himself. And he went on to write their names on a marriage certificate. He claimed to her, like told her, like we all, listen, women out there know what I'm talking about. He told her, I'll leave the priesthood for you. That's like saying, I'll leave my wife. Like girl, he's not, nobody's leaving. And then Whitley, here's where the goings get, get good go they go they go where they shouldn't go laid on me while they are having a sexual encounter and might i add this is on the high altar all caps high altar like okay of saint joseph's like they're literally having like sexual encounter on the high altar schmidt claims he received a command from god to sacrifice anna During, during sex, like God just said, sacrifice her. He told her, Hey, God told me I have to sacrifice you. First of all, I don't care how crazy or like whatever, whatever you are, who thinks it's okay. You know what? I'm going to tell the person that I'm thinking about killing that I'm going to kill him. (laughs) That is certainly a bold move. He, what can I say? Hans is a bold guy. She, of course, said, you're crazy, and then then proceeded to tell him she was pregnant. Oh, twist. <laughs> yes. Yes. The twistiest of twists. A whole pretzel, if you will. So, and I want to, like, also preface that, like, Whitley and I are not ever going to ever in a million years laugh at, like, a victim of a crime, any type of crime, I just like, and I think Whitley is the same. I get anxiety. And when I feel anxious, I like, I panic laugh. So we are no way, shape or form making fun of Anna or any situation moving forward. It's more about making fun of like Hans and just like awkwardly laughing because what else are we supposed to do? Okay. I just felt like we needed the like clarification. Uh, that was a good clarification. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't want us to get hate mail. Here is, here it is. On the night of September 3rd, 1913, Schmidt went to the apartment. They Okay, so let me tell you, they had an apartment, the two of them, Anna and Hans, had an apartment. And they were living there and posing. Well, they weren't really posing because he convinced her they were really married. But posing as a married couple. So, like, all their neighbors are like... Oh, that Hannah and Hans, like, aren't they so funny? Like our neighbors, whatever, whatever. Except for on September 3rd, he goes to that apartment and he killed her. Seems a very obvious crime scene. But hold on, Whitley. Okay. I hold my horses. So not to get graphic, but here's a, like a little trigger warning. If like things are too much for you, maybe just like skip ahead 15 seconds, maybe. He did dismember her and dump her body, 
parts into the Hudson. So here's where you just know he's like, like you knew he was scum before, but now you're like, okay, now you're like the scummiest of scum. Because he then went back after doing all of that to perform mass at the church like nothing happened. Just like went and had mass. Told everybody God loved them. Gotta confess your sins, especially after you murder somebody. (laughs) Whitley, this guy's not confessing anything. As I'm sure we all could guess, because Hans doesn't seem very smart. Some of the body parts surfaced. And after a very short investigation, uh, basically what he did, which makes him even dumber, is he put some of the body parts in a pillowcase with her initials on it. And those were the ones that surfaced. The pillowcase came from a very lucrative seller. So like this seller was, I think, one of like maybe two people that actually sold that type of pillowcase. The seller then went on to tell the police that he had information for a guy under a different name. And this was the address. So they go to this guy's apartment, stake it out. Nothing happens for like three days. And then the, the head uh, police detective told the guys like, just go kick in the door. Let's get in. So they just kicked the door in and put themselves in. And that was where all, like, basically all their evidence came from. So they found mail and other documentation of Hans's. So then they put two and two together, like, okay, Hans must be the guy we're actually looking for. The name we have is an alias. And there was also paperwork and information for Anna there too. So they were able to be like, okay, like she has the same initials as this, as this pillowcase. So this is obviously the woman that we found. So they end up finding out that he works at, like he's a priest and then he works at the the Catholic church and they go to Uh, The door of St. Joseph's and the bishop lets them in. They tell him what they're doing there and they go and confront Schmidt. Like they took him right, took the police right to his room. And he was just there in his room hanging out. Like he didn't just kill a lady a couple days before. Whitley, he confessed immediately. Like they, they asked him like very simple questions and he immediately confessed. I mean, how could you not? Okay, sorry. I'll let you read this statement. Go ahead and stated quote I killed her I killed her because I loved her end quote I just (laughs) want to say that this is a time where it would have been very easy to get away with a murder Mm -hmm. they didn't have forensics yep but he literally had to like you'd have to go out of your way to make it so obvious Mm-hmm. that you murdered somebody i mean come on yes well like let's 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 go over the facts one more time so like one you're a priest so like there's not that many priests in the area you know what i mean so you're kind of like hey look at me this priest not following the rules 
you're getting moved around a lot because you're causing so much confrontation. So you're again, causing people to look at you. You chose to have a sexual affair with someone you work with. Like that's not obvious. And it's not, you think it's not going to be obvious if she goes missing. Like she's a woman in the night, like early 1900s, like they're going to notice. Cause she, she was at first before she moved into the apartment with him, she was living with her family. So like, you don't think they're going to notice like she, Oh, she didn't call for three days. You know what I mean? Like I, I just find that or write a letter or visit or meet for lunch or literally anything. So you're just like doing like, you're just, I don't know. Not that there's like a book on how to get away with, I mean, I'm sure there is a book on how to get away with murder or whatever, but. It's a TV show. <laughs> yes. Um, he needs to watch it. <laughs> Pull up your TV set. 19, 1913. Okay. I just, how can you be so bad at crime? Like I personally know I would be bad at crime which is obviously why I have not chosen the lucrative life of being a criminal. <laughs> what? You're not a criminal? Correct. <laughs> but, I, okay, like a five-year-old could do a better job covering that up. They don't have fingerprints. And now, granted, I don't know what body parts washed up on the shore. But why did you put it in the pillowcase? Just, just... All you had to do was throw him in the Hudson. He literally laid the path right to himself. All because of a pillowcase. Literally. That's that that is what got him. Or well, it didn't get him caught, caught, but it at least like started the ball rolling. Because then the police were like, what are these initials? And where'd this pillowcase come from? Because it's a nice pillowcase. So I mean, you're you're an idiot. Hans is caught. They arrest him, Oppy, and they take him to jail. Obviously, again, the Roman Catholic Church wants to cover their butt, as we will see many, many a story. I'm sure we'll eventually do another Catholic story, and we will all see how they want to cover their butt. So the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of New York suspended his priestly duties indefinitely following his arrest. I'm sure we all could guess that Schmidt and his team claimed he was insane. And they even went so far as to claim that it ran in his family. Like they pulled, you know, their, his third cousin twice removed on his mother's father's grandfather's side. And just like this whole weird kind of like family tree they tried to put together. The prosecution, though, was able to provide experts that stated even though he claimed he heard voices, Schmidt was definitely sane. Like, definitely. Unfortunately, the jury deliberated for several days. And after the conclusion in December 1913, they, or after the conclusion of the trial, uh, but they could not reach a decision. So that resulted in a hung jury, which kind of surprised me. I thought this would be like a slam dunk. The second trial, though, started two weeks later. So I don't know if that means like our judicial system has gotten worse 
or better because I feel like most second trials or third trials don't happen two weeks later now. Like they happen like 17 million years later. Right. You do not get a speedy trial anymore. No. And so I don't know if it's because they were like, like, I don't know if like in the 1900s, they were prosecuting people like too quickly. So they weren't getting like a fair trial or if we're just doing like, we're just not doing it right now. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. If you are a lawyer, let me know. So the second trial started two weeks later. Prosecution provided a witness this time that said she had worked with Hans to pose as Anna to take out a life insurance policy in her name for $5,000 and having Schmidt as the sole beneficiary. And this was uh, obviously before she passed away or was murdered, I guess is the best way to say that. The jury this time deliberated only three hours. And on February 5th, 1914, he was found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced to death. His only response to the sentencing was, I'm satisfied with the, or quote, I'm satisfied with the verdict. I would rather die today than tomorrow, end quote. While, like, obviously, if, if unless you have a terrible uh, defense team, most defenses, uh, they go on to file an appeal um, immediately after you're found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced to the death penalty. So they had a kind of like waiting period. So during this waiting period, he is uh, sitting in Sing Sing and he is claiming, hey guys, you know, you caught me. I wasn't really insane, uh, but I needed to cover for my dentist friend that I was having a homosexual relationship with because he's the one that actually killed Anna like but wait it was an accident during a botched abortion yes blank stare blinking that was I feel like that was everyone's reaction so everyone basically said no no you're a liar and we don't care what you have to say anymore so on February 18th 1916 which is a little over two years since he was found guilty uh, because of all the pe- appeals and everything, Schmidt finally entered the de- death chamber at 5.50 a.m. Um, they asked him, like, is there any last words that you have to say, like they do with everyone else? And he said, quote, I want to say one thing before I go. I beg forgiveness of all I have offended and scandalized, and I forgive all who have offended against me, end quote. Schmidt also said right before they fired up the electric chair, quote, my last word is to say goodbye to my dear old mother, end quote. He was pronounced dead at 5.58 a.m. His family did request that his body get sent back to Germany, but because of World War I, it just wasn't an option. So he was buried in New York. And at their request, the location has been kept a secret. And that is the story of the only Catholic priest to be executed. And stay tuned as Emily and I search for the unmarked grave in the next <laughs> episode. No, <I'm> just <laughs> catch our next episode in New York on scene. <laughs> 
Did you laugh with Gummy and Jean this week? If so, we would absolutely love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.